Area 941 podcast are produced and distributed by Community Powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941 at kpfa.org. I'm Richard Walensky. This is KPFA's Bay Area Theater podcast, featuring stage reviews, along with extended versions of interviews heard on Arts Waves on Cover to Cover. My guest is Kate Atwell, who is playwright of Test Match, which is at ACT Strand Theater starting this week through December 8th. It's a world premiere, and from here it goes on to Yale Rep. Kate Atwell, hope I have this right, uh, got a BA, University of Bristol, MFA, Yale School of Drama, which is where we're going to start in a couple of minutes, and has written several plays, including Jesus in Manhattan from the Ensemble Theater, co-founded I Am a Boy's Choir, and a creative producing fellow at the Foundry Theater. So let's go back. I was looking you up online, and one place said you were from London, and another said you were from South Africa. So what's going on here? I grew up in South Africa. I actually spent a little bit of time growing up in Austin, Texas as well. And I moved to London when I was 17. You know, sometimes I think it depends what mood you find me in as to particularly where I'm from. I've lived, I've lived in South Africa, and that feels real, but I've lived in London and Bristol in the United Kingdom, and then I lived in New York for a long time. The next question is, how did you get involved in theater? Mm-hmm. And eventually, what got you into the MFA program at Yale? Wow. I guess I grew up seeing quite a lot of theater in South Africa. It felt exciting. It felt dynamic. It felt like a space of imagination that felt really potent and powerful. And I guess I kept following that. I used to be really into dance in South Africa. There's a huge and incredible dance community there. You know, South Africa has 11 official languages. And I think there's something about that purely physical form that is able to speak in a kind of different way. I think a lot of my work still comes from that kind of physical and aesthetic place in a lot of ways. Where in South Africa? I grew up in Peter Maritzburg, which is a small town near Durban, is the closest. I, I was born in Cape Town. You had theater growing up, and mm-hmm. you traveled around a lot. Were you interested in acting, playwright, director, what? Yes. I think there was definitely part of me that wanted to be an actor, and that was one of the things that drove me to try to move to London. I sort of kind of thought I wanted to go to drama school for that, and then found the world of much more experimental theater, um, devised theater, performance art, really, kind of all the way in that direction, and that's kind of what I then ended up doing for a long time. And then even when I was at Yale, I formed a company with an amazing designer that I met there. Um, And then we joined up with a choreographer and the three of us formed I'm a Boys Choir. And so for a long time, I was really focused on uh, just that, making devised work. And that was really the kind of, of theater that I was interested in. And slowly through those shows, I did start to write more and more within that paradigm. And then, well, what if I did write a whole thing that we could create together? But I definitely drop the acting. I don't mind performing. I mean, actually, I like not having to do it too much anymore. But I feel like I can't pretend to say something. I can stand on a stage in a performance art way and say real things. But I'm really dreadful. No one wants to see me try to say lines. 
since your playwriting grew out of the paradigms in I Am a Boy's Choir, exactly what was that? And is there any elements of that in Test Match? Well, yeah, I think a lot of this play, I mean, for a start, it's a completely ensemble piece. You know, it's acrobatic for these women who are in it, which is so exciting to see them just going through that every day at the moment. And I think working so closely with the designer so much, a lot of my work does come from that aesthetic place still, right? So, you know, a lot of the drive behind kind of just the initial way I was thinking about Test Match was how exciting it felt as a as a visual to have women in these cricket uniforms that are really powerful and really fierce, just that that was like a version of the female body that we don't get to see so much. And simultaneously that it's a really diverse range of women who play the sport that felt really exciting. So there's definitely something about what's going to be a unique and exciting visual to put on the stage that does kind of drive a starting place for me quite a lot. So I Am a Boys Choir was very visual in the work that yeah, they were definitely. doing. Yeah, definitely. Very visual, very physical, very much at the intersection between kind of theater, dance, performance. You know, we did work in public spaces sometimes, in a lot of gallery spaces, so somewhere between installations sometimes, art world, theater world, dance world, somewhere in the, in the sort of midpoint of all of those things. Yeah. And then you began working on plays and that got you into Yale? No, no, no. I did I'm Boys Choir after Yale. I want to come back to some of your other work, but yeah. let's talk about Test Match. Now, Test Match takes place in a locker room in 2016, mm-hmm. women cricket players, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting, of course, for us in America who know nothing whatsoever <laughs> so about cricket. Yeah. And then at some point, since I haven't seen the play yet, it switches to around 1800 and the origins of cricket. Is that correct? Sort of? Sort of, yes. You know, it's definitely a fictional leap that we take in that second part in a lot of ways. And so it's dabbling with not even quite the origins, but definitely some origin moments of various elements of the sport of cricket. But it's also really looking at a kind of root moment of British colonialism in in India. And it kind of plays out a fantasy fiction within that framework. It's sort of like a play within a play that we go into at that point. We start in the present or eight, n- yes, 2016, yeah. no, whatever. Present, yeah. Switch back to the past, then come back into the present? You have to see it to see how that <laughs> plays out. But the thing I do feel about the play is as it makes these leaps, there's a way in which I think a lot of what happens and what is spoken about Almost every line, in a sense, in the first part is is speaking to the past. And then when we go to the past, it's speaking to the present, if that makes sense. The curtain opens. And what do people see? People see a lot of frustrated, angry women come running into their locker room. (laughs) They're frustrated. Their game has been canceled because it's raining. So they've, they've been in the middle of play and it's been kind of called, you know, postponed temporarily so we can see whether or not the rain is going to go away. And so they're just hanging out, you know, and I think there's every possibility that this could just be an, a nice time that they hang out and then they go back and play. The play itself, Test Match, Kate Atwell, it's sort of about cricket, but it's not about cricket. 
you know, and, and especially with an American audience. We're doing a production in the UK next year as well, around the same, same time as the, the Yale production. And that'll be really interesting too, because I did write it living here and I wrote it for an American audience. You know, so that, that'll be something to figure out. But, but it, is, it, is, it is about cricket temporarily. And then it moves on from that and lets go of that. And cricket is, is metaphorical in the play's concerns and functions as a way to, to think about and reveal and talk about the various kinds of systems that control us, control us in society. And it's trying to be an intersectional conversation about those things, about the systems of power that are at play in terms of race, in terms of gender, in terms of money, in terms of economics. You know, and the different ways that those systems stack at different points in time. Is that why you go back to 1800? Because it's 1800 India. Yes, it is. It's in. It's set in India. Yeah, somewhere. You know, the fiction of it navigates between about 1770 and uh, and the 1800s. It's very much looking at colonialism and that system of power and the way that that system of power, in terms of white supremacy and economic power is still playing out today, right? So that's the kind of connection that it's trying to make. And think about what is owed in terms of that history, right? What are the ways in which we talk about that history? That feels really crucial to the play is to re-examine, to kind of overturn things in, in the ways that they've been historicized and to kind of upend that, challenge it. Yeah, and to and to reveal those those kind of systemic power structures in the hope that, you know, when we reveal something, we can, we can change it, we can rise above it. Parts of these must have been percolating for quite a while, particularly since you did grow up in South Africa, which has a more overt racist history, say, than the United States, which is pretty overt here, too. Yeah, I'd say it's pretty overt in both places, in different times and in different ways. I think that's one of the things I hope to do with this play is to not allow any kind of invisibility to those kinds of histories, you know. And yes, I think growing up in South Africa, what's really different to that about, you know, compared to growing up in America. And, and the conversation in the States has changed a lot since 2014, say. I think it's on its way in a good direction. But I think in a lot of ways up until that point, there was this ability for white people in this country to say, to say that there were no problems, you know, and for that to be the kind of status quo, there to be an invisibility to whiteness that then has all kinds of toxic repercussions. But yes, growing up in South Africa, especially for me, post-apartheid generation, that wasn't possible. You know, I grew up during, during a really exciting moment in South Africa's history, which was celebratory. You know, Mandela was in power and then Mbeki was in power. And we had this amazing new constitution. And we had, then we had the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And, you know, it's difficult to, you know, all of that means something very different today. But thinking about it in that moment, you know, what's always felt really important to me about something like the Truth and Reconciliation was was its its way of creating non-invisibility, right, around everything that had happened for everyone. And I do think there's a power in, in acknowledgement, in atonement, even just attempted atonement, because, of course, there are certain things we can and cannot atone for in all of these situations, right? But to, 
to give voice to that, to make people confront certain things felt extremely potent. It felt extremely emotional at the same time, right? And there's a politics around all of that feeling that's really fascinating to me. But yeah, so I think that kind of lens is really different to to the lens that that perhaps someone who grew up in the UK or someone who grew up here might have. At the same time, of course, as you said, after 2014, and we began having Black Lives Matter, suddenly it came to the fore. And of course, the 2016 election turned a lot of things on their head in the United States. The negative, of course, we can see clearly, but the positive, at least from my perspective, is it woke people up mm-hmm. to, in many areas, environment, race, social justice, yeah. in ways that were maybe too many Americans were asleep. Yeah, I think that's true, that things had been allowed to lie dormant and to be called history, right, that actually weren't and hadn't been dealt with. And there's so much danger to that. I think, yeah, and and and... You know, I started writing this play after that election as well. And I think there's a way in which it's it's also looking at that in terms of we've had historical systems like this before, right? And it's going back to colonialism for for that purpose of saying, you know, don't be don't be naive to that, right? We've seen this before. We chose to to forget about certain things and narrativize certain things in certain ways that made it clean and made it easy for a particular section of society. And we can't do that, you know, it's not healthy for anyone. Kate Atwell, something that I've noticed in political plays, and I'm curious how you deal with it, it's almost like putting it together, there's a tendency, at least maybe in early drafts, to fall into didacticism, but you're also writing a play with characters. Mm -hmm. How do you, as a playwright, deal with, on the one hand, these elements you're looking at, and on the other hand, telling a story? That's the thing. The thing I want to say, maybe this is so, so silly, because it is. When I was making Devised Theater, my two co-conspirators in that that company, we had this saying with each other, which was, you know, make the play and then make it funner, right? That, of course, not being a word. And I think that's important. I feel like one of my jobs is also to, to entertain people. And I think the more I entertain you, possibly the more you'll you'll let me get away with making you think about. Do you know what I mean? So kind of that's my hope, right? Is 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 to be sneaky with it, and to let it be fun at times. And it is. And these women are really funny, you know, who are in this play. And I and I think they're being allowed to play roles that are usually given to male characters, you know, to have these kinds of functions within plays, and that feels exciting. But yeah, it's oscillating between between the personal and the political. And so personal moments, deeply, deeply personal moments play out within this play. My hope is that the audience can extrapolate that, right, and allow it to stand for something else. I mean, that's that's what I love about theater, right, is I feel like when you put something on a stage, it doesn't just mean what it is. It has so many layers and so many metaphorics to it in that moment. You know, you put a chair on the stage, it's not just a chair, it's all chairs or some chairs or the chairs you knew, the chairs you grew up with, right? So I think that this play hopes that you'll do that with these characters too, that they are themselves 
in each and every moment, but that they, they kind of ricochet or ripple outwards from themselves and, and mean something else. You also served as a dramaturg, a dramaturge, depending <laughs> upon who's saying I it. I like the turg, but... <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, for people like Craig Lucas, yeah. Lucas Noth, and Maltby and Shire. Mm-hmm. Now, Maltby and Shire, that was a musical, I would guess. That was a musical, yeah, with Craig Lucas as well. It was a musical called Suzatska that was in Toronto. Vicky Clark was the lead, and she was amazing. And the Lucas Noth? Lucas Nath. I, Nath? Lucas Nath, yeah. yeah. Cool. Doll's House Part 2. <laughs> um, worked on Red Speedo at, when it was at New York Theatre Workshop with Liliana Blaine Cruz directed that. What did you do as a dramaturg turg, on those projects? for any of these plays? Mm-hmm. And how does that relate? Does, does doing the work with another playwright help you in terms of being a dramaturg on your own play? That's a difficult question. Like, I don't know how much I could go back and dramaturg now. That way of thinking, which is so structural, and so I guess structural is the most important thing, actually, that I'm thinking about. That's, I guess, what I hope to bring to my work at any given moment. And being able to have that part of your brain that can dial out, right, and kind of not get not get lost, you know, in the woods of of the creative process, I guess is is something to hold on to. I think also, I feel like oftentimes as a dramaturg, I would try to think, like my job is to an extent to be one of the first members of the audience in the room, right? And I guess I try to hold on to that as well now, of of being able to kind of say, am I meaning what I mean to mean, (laughs) you know? Are we creating the meaning that that we mean to create? to have that kind of outsider perspective, which, of course, is basically impossible when you've written it yourself. But I mean, for me, if I'm editing this interview, I have to treat myself as if I'm not as me. Brutally. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And curse myself out, yeah. which is probably easier since the creative element is very, very different. Yeah. But it's much easier for me to, say, go to a 10-year-old interview and re-edit it. Yeah, definitely, because you have that distance on it. Yeah. But for a playwright... I mean, there are also things where you've got a line and you love that line yeah. and someone but else... Sometimes you've got to kill it, you know? You've got to kill it. I feel like there's always another fun line or there's always another good line. That feels really important. Like, Pam is fantastic. We're always saying, like, you know, it's just a play. You can't break it, you know? You can do whatever you want to it. And that's Pam McKinnon, who is the artistic director and the director of this production. Does she kind of serve as kind of a dramaturg on this, or has that part already been done? Yeah, well, we have a dramaturg. Joy Means is the dramaturg here at ACT. And I do, honestly, I work with loads of dramaturgs. I love dramaturgs. They probably hate me because I'm always sending them stuff to be like, tell me what is this? In the first production of a play like Mm -hmm. this, do you as a playwright take part in the casting? Yeah, 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 I did. Pam and I did auditions in New York in the summer. We had loads of conversations around that. So it's not really ultimately down to me, but definitely very involved. Yeah. In your mind when you're writing a play, Kate Atwell, do you physically see that character in your head? And when you do that, what happens if you're looking at somebody and they're completely different but Pam is sitting next to you going, yeah, I think that's the one. Yeah, I mean, I definitely write, yeah, I know what you mean, and I write very specifically. 
I think I often find I write to actors I know, and they might never end up doing, you know, not a reading, not a workshop. But yeah, I do write to specific performers sometimes. But I also love when someone comes in and shows you a completely different version of the character. In fact, I think that's when I go, oh, I did my job well because it's living and breathing by itself, you know. Is there any actor in this particular production who did that? that or am I, I putting you on the spot? <laughs> um, no, I don't think, I think they're all doing that in different moments and in different places. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's super exciting. In books, there's also an overriding voice of the narrative. And I'm, I'm never asked a playwright this. When you're working on a play, do you see some overriding voice to the play that's not the play itself, but kind of if the play was narrated. Does that make sense to you? That makes sense to me. I think I don't. Yeah, I think the characters start speaking. I feel like I know when I should hold on to an idea, almost like channeling that they just need to keep talking to each other. If they don't start doing that, it's probably a dead end for me. The novel is such a continuous form, you know, in the way that that theater is a back and forth. You know, I'm fascinated by how the process works. I mm. mean, with a novelist, it's one person yeah. doing all. But with a play, it's not only you as a playwright. And yeah. then, of course, when you put the baby to bed and walk away, mm. it's future directors yeah. and future actors, yeah. which is kind of a different thing. I think that dial dialogicness to it is what I like about it. It's people speaking to each other, but there's also a dialogue at play between the play and the audience that stays very alive for me, certainly, right? That liveness of this is going to happen, just what we were saying earlier as well, you know, it means more than it just means. So it's so it's in that dialogue between the the reality of someone watching it and it's dialogue within itself. It's kind of a lot of different ways. And the novel, the novel can exist with, you know, just within you when you're reading. Hey, that well, what is Jesus in Manhattan? <laughs> um, that's a play that I'm very, very excited about and going to be developing that, you know, we did a one-act version of it and I'm currently working on turning, the, turning it into its full-length version of itself. It imagines the second coming of Jesus Christ as a woman who arrives in New York. And that's as explicit as it is about, you know, how old thou it's in, we don't know how old she is, we don't know who she is, what she is, because it's a series of scenes kind of simply connected by the fact that that is happening. We don't ever see this kind of central figure. We just see the repercussions around that that occurring. And it's really about thinking about the notion of radical love and what that would do in the world and what that would be in the world if, if we suddenly decided that actually that is what we should follow. So I, I started it from, you know, kind of challenging myself as a pretty non-religious, you know, queer woman to think about like, what is the, what is this Christianity thing? <laughs> and And what would it be if we took that kind of stripped it back to perhaps a very core theological idea. 
Is it also kind of a musical or? No, 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 it's not a musical. Have you worked on a musical? Only as a dramaturg. I'd love to write um, a musical. I think there is a musicality to my writing. And I think the musical is such a, it's such a beautiful film. You know, I really do. I think the best, there's nothing better than the best musical. Kate Atwell, when you began working on Test Match, what brought you to cricket? Why did you suddenly say, hey, I'm going to write a play and I'm going to start with cricket? It was really, really that visual that I was talking about. And I was back in South Africa. I hadn't been back there in seven years, I think it was. And I was up late with jet lag and on the TV was women's cricket. And that was wild for me, having lived in the States and like not thought about cricket for about 20 years, you know, to kind of go, wow, like this is a sport that I was sort of ushered out of at a certain point in life to go play the girls' sports. And now it's this, it was, it was 2020, which is a particularly kind of fast-paced, high-potency version of the sport as well. You know, and it, I was like, wow, this is it. This is now a huge thing that's televised and amazing. And these women are so good. So I just love the look of it. The other thing is you mentioned before, you said you was a queer person doing all this writing. What kind of role does that? play in your work. And also, of course, there's been a lot of gay theater, a lot of queer theater <laughs> yeah. that's come out in the past decade. Yeah. I think definitely my a lot of my devised work was about was about bodies and different kinds of bodies and different kinds of spaces and you know, really just looking at what our bodies mean and the way we try to control them and confine them and want them to be certain things and not other things and you know, how, how oppressive that is in our, in our daily lives, you know, in ways we just don't even realize. There's the ways we do realize, and those are frustrating, and then there's all the ways we don't even realize. I don't know. I mean, this is definitely a very female-oriented play, which, which I guess in some ways is part of that for me. Yeah, I guess I hope I, hope I write from a queer lens in that, you know, and it, it doesn't mean like there's a touch on kind of gay things, queer things in this. It's this is not that play, like it's not focusing on that, but it feels important that the perspective is slightly not the mainstream narrative, you know, if we can broaden what that means to also encompass like how we tell histories, you know. Something a friend of mine, he was the speechwriter for Harvey Milk, who died a few years ago. He said one thing about being queer, being gay, is that you're always coming out. Yeah. yeah. You're yeah. never out because you're meeting other people. And in a world, to use your phrase there, hetero heteronormative, I'm not going to keep coming out of the closet. Yeah. I'm just not going to. It's tiresome. Yeah. It's tiresome. Yeah. I did it on the air years ago with um, Olmsted Maupin. Mm -hmm. And I've never hidden it. But it almost seems, do you know what I mean? Totally. And it's it's daily almost, you know, that you you make these negotiations with yourself of going like, am I going to, do I have to this time again, really? Kate Atwell, you have this play, Test Match is supposed to come to Yale, mm -hmm. and you're working on Jesus in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. What is your next project then? Yeah, I forgot a... Uh, 
a number of kind of things percolating. I've got a TV show that I'm developing, so that's a kind of mind jump, mind shift gear, which is fun. And then, and then Jesus, I'm working on a new commission for Playwrights Horizons in New York. And then after that, who knows? You've been listening to an interview with Kate Atwell, whose play Test Match is at ACT Strand Theater. It's a world premiere directed by Pam McKinnon, and it's playing this week through December 8th. And for more information, you can go to act-sf.org.